Amen. You may be seated. Please take your Bibles and turn in them to two places this morning. I need you to put your finger in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, and then Luke chapter 6. Now, we're starting this morning, we're going back to the study of the parables, we'll be in that for a few more weeks, and we're starting now looking at a few of the parables on discipleship. So this will be part one of probably two to three more of Jesus' parables that deal specifically with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to walk with Him, follow Him as Lord, and live as part of His kingdom. Now, um, we're going to be looking at Matthew and Luke's version of this one particular parable that was so beautifully and hilariously demonstrated for us uh, this morning from our, uh, from our guy. So... Uh, so hopefully you'll turn there, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Luke 6, 46 through 49. Now as I begin, there's two things I want to point out about this particular parable in these two places. The first, you need to note that this is the first parable that Jesus tells in both Matthew and Luke. So this is the first of Jesus' many parables. But it also has a very particular function. This serves as the ending or the invitation to Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 5 through 7, and the Sermon on the Plain, which is in Luke chapter 6. Now, don't let that confuse you. Jesus preached that same sermon many times with slight variances to different audiences, and he added some different applications, but we have two basic copies of that sermon um, in, the, in the scriptures. So after Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, and he explains what it means to be a part of God's kingdom, he uses this particular parable to force his readers to make a decision. At the end of every sermon, there should be a time to make a decision. Like Jesus is calling for someone to decide upon what he has spoken about, what he has taught. And so he's going to draw a distinction between himself and the religious establishment of his day. And Jesus is saying, you're going to have to make a decision. I either am who I say I am or I am not. Now, so this parable we're looking at this morning serves as an invitation for all of us to evaluate the basis of your faith, to evaluate the foundations of your life. Now, this is like a theology nerd moment here, okay? So you just have to bear with me. I like some things like this. It's very interesting to me that what Jesus does here is very similar to what Moses did after he led the people out of, out of, out of Egypt into the promised land. So in Exodus, Moses, God leads the people out. They come to the promised land. God gives them his law. And then God puts before them the blessings and the curses, and says, I've given you, I've done everything I've said I'm going to do. Now you have to choose this day what you're going to do. You choose life. Choose God's blessing or choose God's cursing. And in a similar fashion, Jesus here gathers all of these people. He gives them his word, which is the law. And then he says, you have to choose. You have to choose. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Matthew chapter 7. I'll read there first and then Luke chapter 6. So listen to the slight variances of this parable. Matthew 7, it says this, 
Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And then Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. This morning, I want to break this into three simple sections. I hope this is a very simple and straightforward sermon. Here's the first thing that you have to, as we begin this sermon, that you need to understand. It begins with the authority of Jesus. Both of these parables begin with the authority of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, and he goes on. And in Luke, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what this person's like. So both of these begin with an exclusive claim of Jesus' authority. So as Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, he offers this claim of authority, of his own authority. And the claim is that Jesus' words carry the very authority of God's words. Even more striking than that, it's, I mean, it's, it's quite a claim to say that my words are God's words, but even more striking than that is, is that Jesus himself understood that as he preached these very words, that this would be the standard of God's judgment. That Jesus' words, not Moses' words, would be the lasting standard of God's judgment. Now just think about that claim for a second from the perspective of those listening to Jesus. You have all the religious leaders listening to Jesus, all of just the regular ordinary folks around Galilee and around Jerusalem, they're listening to Jesus. And Jesus is saying here that you will not simply be judged on the basis of God's Old Testament law, but on the very words he is speaking to you at this very moment. Is it any wonder, when you think about that claim, is it any wonder that Jesus ran into direct conflict with the religious leaders of his day? You can't make claims like this and think things will just go peachy among those that are in authority. Now, I also say this, Jesus cannot make these kind of claims and you simply write him off as a moral philosopher. Great moral philosophers don't go around telling people that you will be judged by God by the very words that are coming out of my mouth. That is a tremendous claim, right? So Jesus is claiming the very authority of Yahweh. Now, to further draw this point out, 
I want to say this. Jesus wasn't claiming that the Old Testament was wrong. He never said that. In fact, he went on to say not a jot or a tittle of all of the, any of this will go, will go away until everything is accomplished. So Jesus isn't belittling the Old Testament or putting it to the side. That's not it. Jesus is saying that he himself is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament law. So what Jesus is saying here is that you cannot obey the law or do God's will apart from him. In fact, in Luke's version, right, that we just read, Jesus says, you have to come to me, you have to hear, my, hear from me, and you have to obey me. That's the point. It's not enough to simply obey Moses or the Ten Commandments. You must come to Jesus. You must follow Jesus. You must obey Jesus. Now, here's what this means for us. This is ultimately for all of you in the room, children, students, college students, young adults, some of you that have been... Some of you that are searching or thinking about the claims of Jesus, you've been wondering about this for years and trying to make your peace with it. This is ultimately where you have to make up your mind about Jesus. Jesus is preaching this sermon to the masses, and he is asking them to see him for who he is. He's asking them to consider his claims, and so the point here is, is Jesus really the promised Messiah? That's the question. Is he really the promised heir of David's throne? Is he really the son of God? Is he really the savior and deliverer of God's people? Does he have the authority to say the things that he is saying? Or, as C.S. Lewis would have said it, is he simply a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he far worse, a madman deceiving the masses? You have to make up your mind about the authority of Jesus because he makes no qualms about the claims he makes. And here, this story, this, this parable begins with an absolute claim of Jesus' authority. But notice second. Second, notice the assessment of Jesus. Not only does Jesus claim authority, Jesus makes an assessment. He tells these stories in order for you to assess your life and the foundations upon which you build. So he's made the claim of ultimate authority and now he's calling the people to a decision. And he gives his assessment to those, and he says, you need to consider seriously the consequences of the choice in front of you. So he tells a parable that contrasts the basic choices that all of us must make. So here it is. Notice a few similarities. We've had the, he, Jesus tells a story about a wise builder and a foolish builder, but notice some of the similarities here in the parable. I'll give you three. Number one, both are building a house. Whether they're wise or foolish, they're both building a house or a dwelling place or a life. They're building something. All right? Both of these people are building something. Number two, both structures appear to be fine from external observation and examination. They both seem to be fine. They both probably have walls, roofs. They both might have picket fences and be side by side on the same street. And then third... What is also absolutely true about both of them taken together is that Jesus says both will be subjected to the same destructive forces and storms. Both are going to endure the same storms. Both will be tested and tried and judged by the coming storms and flood. Now, let's look at the differences. So that's the similarities. The similarities are they both are built, they're both building, they both look fine. And they both are going to go through the storm. But notice the one difference. 
There's only one difference. It's the difference of a foundation. The only difference between these two seemingly identical structures is that one has a foundation and one doesn't. All of Jesus' listeners would have understood these common things. Like, Listen, this is still common in our day. No one goes out and builds a structure of any lasting importance or significance without laying a foundation. Listen, for all the postmodernism in the world that says truth is relative, if you go to the postmodern museum of art, guess what? It's sitting on a foundation. It's sitting on a foundation. Because even those people that built it goes, you'd be an idiot to think there's not truth in laying a foundation before you build a building. Think about New York City with all those towering buildings. The, the taller the building, the deeper the foundation. Think about the city of Venice. They also have very beautiful buildings, very beautiful structures. In fact, some of them centuries old. But what's the problem in Venice? The whole city sinking into the sea. The foundations are no good. One will stand longer than the other. That is the point here, okay? So out by the Sea of Galilee, all of Jesus' listeners would have understood these very common images. And out by the Sea of Galilee, guess what there is? A lot of sand. It also happens to be a desert. There's a lot of sand there, okay? So during the hot summer months, this is some cultural information, during the hot summer months, what would happen is the sand will become very hard and very packed. In fact, you might even think it's as hard as cement, but it's a false, it's a false thing to draw, a false conclusion to draw. So there's a lot of sand, hot and packed builders, before they would build there, they would need to dig down past the sand to get to the bedrock. It might be a, a foot or two foot of sand to remove before you would hit the bedrock. And flooding was very common. Flooding is very common then, it's still common today when there would be torrential downpours that would cause runoffs and mudslides. And so these are very common pictures. Jesus is giving them something they would understand. Now, I want to make this point here. When Jesus says these two builders went out and built a house, one built on the rock, one built on the sand, and the floods came, everybody understands that. But what you might not know is that all throughout Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, one of the main themes is God's judgment. It's God's judgment. Look there in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, which is right before this. In verses 21 through 23, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, that's judgment day, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and in your name do many mighty works? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So the theme here coming to the end before Jesus tells this parable is God's coming judgment. Also, throughout all of the Old Testament, um, the, the imagery of flood as a picture of God's judgment is found all the way throughout. In fact, God's first major judgment on all the world was what? A flood. So all throughout the Old Testament, the image of flooding is corresponding to God's judgment, and it's tied together even here in Matthew. So Jesus is emphasizing that no matter how you build, no matter where you build, you will not escape the sure certainty of God's coming judgment. Every person will give an account on that day of the foundation upon which they have built their lives. So think about everybody in this room. 
Think about everybody in our community, everybody in your family. The point here is that it can all look the same on the outside. Everybody Jesus was speaking to were good, moral Israelites. It can all look the same on the outside. It can all be beautiful until the day that the flood comes. When many, on that day, many seemingly beautiful, well-kept, put-together lives will come to ruin. Everything looked fine on the outside. And on that day, to contrast, many lives that seem to be falling apart, that seem to be falling into dis, disarray and disrepair, who, who have gone through incredible difficulties and hardships, their lives will stand even in the midst of the flood. And the only reason is because of the foundation. That's the only difference. On that day, there will be many surprises. Now, so what is Jesus' assessment of these builders? Simply put, one is wise and one is foolish. So here is the principle. This is it in a nutshell. This is all of the sermon in a nutshell. Anyone, that's anyone, that's everybody in here, anyone who hears Jesus' words and fails to come to him and obey him is a fool. That's what Jesus says. Anyone who hears my words and fails to come to me and obey me is a fool. That is the principle. And there are two great foolish errors that I can tell you about this. Here's the first great foolish error. Number one, you can have Christ, you sorry, you can have Christ's teachings without Christ. That is a great error that I see all throughout our world today, that you can have Christ's teachings without Christ. And that is the error of legalism. That's basically that I can simply obey Christ's moral code divorced from a relationship with him. And by the way, Jesus addresses those people in the Gospels, and he says this to them. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you cannot enter my kingdom. Now the issue there is that you can't enter God's kingdom with your own righteousness. You need Jesus' righteousness. You will never be good enough, no matter how perfectly moral and zealous you think you are, that you can actually follow Christ's teachings divorced from him. The second great error goes the other way, and that is you can have Christ without his teachings. Now, this error is the error of licentiousness, and this is the error that I can... This is the error that I can claim to know and have Jesus, but not actually obey him. And Jesus says here, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Jesus says that is an absurd disconnect. And there are many who fall into this error. They will choose to live however they want, with no regard for Christ's word, and they will be known by their fruits. And Jesus will say to them what he said to these folks at the end of Matthew 7. He says, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Notice that Jesus says that, right? Do you see that in verse 23 of Matthew? He says, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Depart from me, you people who thought I never gave you a law to obey. That's what Jesus says. You're an antinomian, anti-law. He says, depart from me. So, you cannot have Jesus without his commands. You can't have Christ's teachings without him, and you can't have him without his teachings. 
Now, whenever these two foolish errors occur, what it does is it distorts biblical Christianity and it destroys our witness in the world. Now, as, as, the, as the theologian Miroslav Vlof says, he says, we may believe in Jesus, but we do not believe his ideas. That's a damning statement. That we believe Jesus, just not Jesus' ideas. Spurgeon once said it this way. Spurgeon says, quote, The common temptation is instead of really repenting, to talk about repentance. Instead of heartily believing, to say, I believe, without believing. Instead of truly loving, to talk of love, without loving. Instead of coming to Christ, to speak about coming to Christ, and profess to come to Christ, and yet never come at all. But Jesus said it best himself, right? Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And that is Jesus' point here. So this is Jesus' assessment. There are wise builders and there are foolish builders. But now let's look at third, the assurance of Jesus. Jesus claims his authority, he gives his assessment, and then Jesus gives an assurance. There are actually two assurances here. You can see them. The first one is very positive. Jesus says this in Matthew. This is the positive assurance. Jesus says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. And here's the assurance. It did not fall. And Luke, he says it this way. When the flood arose and the stream broke against that house, it could not shake it. Do you hear that? Why? What is the reason in both texts? Why can the storm not shake or destroy this house? Because it was built on the rock. Its foundation is Christ. And that is the main theme of the entire Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus is saying, I am God's Messiah. I'm here to inaugurate God's kingdom. I'm here to rescue God's people. I am the rock, the chief cornerstone. And those that receive him, according to Jesus' own words, are blessed. He says that you're blessed when you're persecuted for my name's sake. They turn the other cheek. They lend freely and forgive as they've been forgiven. Their lives have been completely reordered and reoriented around Jesus. And now Christ's life is evident in their life. Listen to what Jesus says. and Listen to what God says in Isaiah 26, which is, which is directly connected to this text. Says this, thus therefore says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Speaking of Jesus coming. In Ephesians 2 19 and 20, Paul says this about the church. He says, So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. The whole church is built and built up on Jesus, the cornerstone. 
or Acts 4, 11, 13 at the end of Peter's sermon. He says, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Now then, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that interesting? That they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That Christ's life was evident in their life. This is the great assurance of Jesus. Hear me. This is the promise that we have if you were to be a wise builder. This is why it is only wise to build your life on Jesus. Those who build their life on Him have nothing to fear in this life or the next. Come what may, whatever storm there is, the anchor will hold, the foundation will stand, and the building will not fall. No matter what happens. No matter what happens. You see, it is a very sad state when we think that the anchor only holds when things are good. When the foundation only stands, when life is great and there are no struggles. But Jesus' assurance here is, no, the rain is going to beat, the wind is going to blow, the waters are going to rise. Whether it's a picture of this life or God's coming judgment, the point is, in both cases, the house will stand. But then notice the second assurance of Jesus. Though it is very negative, in fact, it's the opposite. What does Jesus say? The rains came, the winds blew, the stream rose, and the foolish builder's house fell. That is the assurance of Jesus. Look what he says. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. It had no foundation. It was built on something else. I want to just pause here and say, you need to take an assessment of your life. Young adult, high school student, middle school student, are you building your life on Jesus as the cornerstone or are you building it on something else? Are you building it on what pop culture says needs to happen, which will change, by the way, in five years? Are you building it on whatever the, the current fad is or whatever something needs to be? It's not a sure foundation. Whatever our secular society says that will make us a more and better, union, a better, a better collection of people and states. It's all fine and good in our pluralistic society. The question is, are you founding your life on Jesus, the sure and lasting foundation? And my last question here as we kind of wrap this up. The point of parables are to make you uncomfortable. Jesus wants to make us uncomfortable. That's what parables are meant to do. They're meant to shake you out of your spiritual sleep and slumber and remind you of the spiritual reality that you cannot escape. You cannot escape the fact that there is coming a day when the floods will come and Jesus will say, you have either built your house on the rock or you have not. And only those who have built on the rock will have their house standing at the end of the flood. Not because of anything on them, but because of the basis upon which they've built their life. 
One scholar said it this way, quote, Many American Christians of all denominations mirror the foolish man. We have perverted faith in Jesus. And he quotes Justin. He says, Justin said that those who are not found living as Jesus taught are not Christians. Think about that for a second. Those that are not living as Jesus taught are not Christians. That you can't have Jesus without his commands and you can't follow his commands without him. And he goes on to say, if, judgment, if God's judgment is taken seriously, failure to live according to his will is really foolish. So I'll close with what Jesus says in Matthew 21. To the religious leaders, by the way, who reject his claim of authority and who reject his assessment of their religious lives. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 21. He says, And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, and it will be given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. These parables are an invitation by Jesus to be wise and not foolish. To be welcomed and not rejected. To be blessed and not cursed. So the question that is the most pressing of all of this is, have you come to Jesus in repentance and faith, turning from your sin and from the faulty foundation of yourself, from your own goodness and righteousness, to build your life upon Him alone as Savior and Lord? Or, will you foolishly continue in your unbelief and rebellion? Because the storm is coming. And on that day, you better be ready to give an account for the foundation upon which you built your life. This morning, we're going to close with a time of invitation. It's very simple. Are you a wise or foolish builder? Do you know Jesus? If you are a Christian, maybe you have wandered. Maybe you have squandered. Maybe you have walked away. And today, you need to repent. You need to come and bow the knee here and say, Jesus, I repent and I want to make sure that I build my life on Jesus. Young person, you need to make sure that you are dedicated to walking with Jesus and you love Him. You follow Him. And this morning, if you're looking for a church home, what better way to say that I'm going to build my life upon Christ and His Word than to plant my life deep among a people who are walking with Jesus together. Although imperfectly, we are stumbling and struggling towards Jesus together. Yeah, there's still a lot of storms. The building doesn't look good on the outside. It's tore up. But the, but the foundation is sure. The foundation is sure. So would you pray with me? Father, I ask this morning that you would speak to us through your word. And that, Father, if there's anyone here who has not built their life on Jesus, that today will be the day that they surrender to Christ as Lord. Father, I ask that you would build your church here upon the rock of Jesus. And, Father, may we follow him, honoring him and obeying him. And when we fall and struggle, may we be quick to repent and hold fast to the anchor of our soul, who is Jesus. Father, we pray this in Christ's name.